0: very sweet thank you very much for that open your bible please tonight to the new testament book of ephesians ephesians chapter six would you go there to ephesians chapter six now while you're turning there um let me tell you about something we say in in the english language anyhow And it's when we're talking about our reputation in life or our status in life, and we often refer to it as our standing in life. And that's sometimes how we we word it in English, anyhow, our standing in life. And what we mean here is that we're sort of comparing ourselves with others, with other people in the area of like a job, career, finance, social relationships, physical health, and the list goes on. And so how do we stand in comparison with other people? And this is called our standing. So this type of standing would be in reference, of course, to how we compare with other people. But there's another type of standing, one that I wanna talk about tonight. This one deals with our relationship with God. Now, the only way we can have any kind of good relationship with God, of course, is if we receive it as a gift from God from Jesus Christ. Our standing with God is only good if we're standing, listen to this, with Jesus and in Jesus. That's the only way that our standing with God is any good. Romans 3.24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Our standing with God through Jesus Christ is not an end. It's a beginning. It's a whole new beginning. It's an open door to some exciting things. Now, a careful study of the Bible will reveal that there is within the family of God another standing. So understand here what I'm, what I'm saying. If you want to have any kind of relationship with God, it has to be in Christ that gives you a basic standing with God, a good standing in Jesus Christ. But there's another standing available. um, And this one here is almost a secret standing. What's all that about? What's this about a secret standing? Well, it's the joy of standing complete in God's will. And I'll tell you right up that not every born-again Christian has it. They can have it, but not all have it. It's a real standing, as real as we're here tonight. And God the Father wants all of his children to enjoy the joy of this particular standing. The only way we can experience the joy is if we stand complete in all his will. So we're going to be looking at the joy of standing complete in God's will. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, We are humbled at the thought of your greatness and your mercy toward us, and often days you have such tender pity toward us. And truly, Heavenly Father, we grope our way along, we stumble, we sometimes fall, and to our shame we don't get up quick enough. Lord, help us to just get in line like that little movie we saw there, the March of the Unqualified, and even the very best of us why even paul himself said that um, he was the chief of sinners and so if we get in line that's the line that we stand in tonight sinners saved by grace thank you for your great mercy and grace toward each and every one of us Every one of us here are recipients of your wonderful love and blessings and gifts every day. Praise you for it, Heavenly Father. Help us now to understand this, well, I call it a secret standing, but it's no secret because it's in the Bible, but the joy of standing complete in all your perfect will. Help us to understand this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen well, I'm going to divide this into three easy points. It's not a long sermon, but I think it's very good in that it combats a fiery dart, Satan's fiery dart that says, you're nothing, you're no good, nothing that you can do will amount to anything. Don't think that whatever little bit you think you have can mean anything. It You're just a drop in the ocean is all you are. You may as well just wither away you know blend back into the woodwork and let someone else who who can really do something let them take over and it's a lie of the devil every single one of us here tonight are able to contribute meaningfully to god and the meaningful part comes from the heart our willingness because God is looking for humble people that he can work through and do great things through. Imagine if you lived 2,000 years ago. Imagine if you were that, on that day when Jesus was addressing a crowd of upwards of 10,000. Imagine if you were the only one that had a lunch. Imagine if it was your five loaves and two fish. Imagine that. And you made your five loaves and two fish available to Jesus. But looking around, even your own set of eyes tells you this this mass sea of faces here. What is what is this among so many? And the Lord Jesus took it and did what only Jesus can do, and he fed ten thousand, well, five thousand men. I'm sure the ladies and children ate too, don't you think? So was probably ten thousand people. You know, the idiots today say, "Well, that wasn't a miracle." There was no miracle there. All it was was big loaves of bread and big fish. Well, someone did a little bit of mathematical calculation and they uh, figured out that, uh, well, bread and fish equals fish sandwiches. And if you took just one slice of bread, say, and put maybe one ounce of fish on it, and then you start doing the multiplication you know, 5,000 men plus women and children, you're looking 10,000 people, and for everyone to get one fish sandwich, how much would you need in the way of bread and fish? And they figured it out, you'd need um, 5 500-pound loaves of bread and I think it's 500-pound fishes. Now, can you imagine a little boy being given a lunch by his mother boom, 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 with these two 500 pound, five, 500 pound loaves of bread. You know, that's stupid. It's easier to believe that Jesus did a miracle. Little boy's lunch. And that's the, that's the whole idea of this message here tonight. You'll see it. Now, point number one, to understand more about this secret standing that I wanna talk to you about, let's first look at the principle of standing. Let's understand that first. Now, as we said before, our basic good standing with God comes as a gift when we're born again in Jesus Christ. Psalm 1 5 says, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Psalm 5 5 says, the foolish shall not stand Stand in thy sight, thou hatest all workers of iniquity. What all this means is that unsaved people have no standing before God. They have no standing in righteousness. They cannot stand before God whatsoever. Why? Because they refuse to do his will, to humble themselves and admit that they're on their way to hell and confess their sins to him. They refuse to do that. But after we get saved, The Bible reveals a few more things to us in this area of standing. Now, with your Bible open at Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at, at a standing here. Now, the context is spiritual warfare, but look, please, at verse 13 with me and read that verse out loud together with me now wherefore take unto you the whole armor of god that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand see those last two words to stand now the context again is spiritual warfare and uh, we're talking about warfare against the powers of darkness against satan and it's very very real today And apparently, according to this context, we can either stand or we can fall. As a Christian, a man, woman who believes in Jesus Christ, you've been born again, you are in a spiritual warfare every day. And sometimes it's very deceptive. You don't think, it doesn't feel like a a warfare, but it is. And Satan is behind the curtain, and he's pulling the strings and pushing the buttons and pulling on the levers, and he's setting up things, traps, for you. And he's trying to design such a a way, a pathway that will take you to the world and not toward God. And he's trying to set up also persecution and make it very hard for you to live for God and much easier to live for the world and the flesh. And so Satan is our ultimate enemy. And the warfare is to stand against this stuff and all of these contraptions and the, uh, the, the fallen angels that, uh, that are out there opposing us. Sometimes we get weird thoughts in our heads. And listen, Jesus didn't put those weird thoughts there. This is part of the work of our enemy. Sometimes you wake up in the morning in a cold sweat and you say, oh man, I just dreamt that I murdered my family and committed suicide. (sighs) Jesus didn't give you that dream. Listen, I wish there was a pill we could take or a prayer we could make that would totally eliminate all of these uh, bad, well, they're nightmares, aren't they? They Sometimes, you know, you have some pretty weird dreams, like some not some very pleasant stuff. That's part of the warfare. And we have, to, we have to wear the armor of God. That's what Ephesians 6 talks about. Now, we're not going to spend time talking about those pieces of armor. We've done that before. You can study that on your own. One day we'll study it again as a church. But the context here indicates that we can either stand or we can fall. Now, listen, the basic ability to stand, think about this. The basic ability just to be able to stand upright is the first principle of being able to do other things, like walking. You won't be able to walk if you can't first stand. And then running. You can't run if you can't first learn how to stand and get your balance. With the little children, it's a happy day when they're able to stand all on their own without the help of mummy and daddy. They're able to stand, and then they take their first steps, right? And they look like little zombies, and down they go and they get we help them back up, a couple more steps, down they go until finally they get the habit, they get their balance, and then it doesn't take long and they're running like crazy around the auditorium here, and we're running after them, come back here, you. But first, they have to be able to stand, and that's very important, this principle. Now, in any type of battle, be it on the battlefield or uh, mixed martial arts in the cage, the last man standing is the winner, right? And so this is the kind of standing here that we're looking at, spiritual standing. So when it comes to spiritual warfare. God wants us to stand. He does not want us to fall. He doesn't want us to fall and be the devil's dupe. He doesn't want us to, to lose in the fight against Satan and, and the things of the flesh and the things of the world. He knows that we're struggling. And many of us here, we struggle with the things that everyone else struggles with, with laziness, with lust, with greed, with greed and a host of other things. Those are real struggles that Christian men and women struggle with, and God knows it, and so he supplies for us the Christian armor so that we can stand, having done all, taking all the armor, to stand. So that's very important. Wearing spiritual armor is God's will. That's the unspoken word here. And if we obey God's will, we'll stand. If we don't obey God's will, we'll fall. It's as simple as that. Um, Many Christians all seem to realize the need of standing in spiritual battle. But what I'm about to tell you now, this next type of spiritual standing, it's not that well-known. It's not well known. It's almost a secret. We come to point two. We're going to take a closer look now at this hidden almost secret, I use that word carefully, but almost secret aspect of Christian standing. For this, I'd like you to turn to the right, to the book of Colossians. It's only about three or four pages away. Chapter four, Colossians chapter four. And it's here that we find this, this uh, secret, if you will. And it's very interesting. Colossians chapter 4 and I'd like you to read together with me verse 12. Now there's a name here and the name is Epaphras. Epaphras, that was the man's name. Paul is writing about this guy, Epaphras. He's writing back to the Church of Colossae, and he mentions the name Epaphras. So let's read verse 12 together. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And if you'll notice, the title of my message was The Joy of Standing Complete in God's will. And here in verse 12, this is something that Epaphras was praying for, for his uh, fellow Christians back in Colossae, the church at Colossae, that they might stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Now, Epaphras is mentioned twice in the book of Colossians, uh, once in chapter one, verse seven, where Paul refers to him as his fellow servant. And again here in chapter four, verse 12, where he indicates he's a member of the church at Colossae. Now, we don't know much more about Epaphras, but it's quite possible that Epaphras was the pastor of the church at Colossae and that he had made the journey to visit up and meet up with the apostle Paul. That's possible. He was quite a prayer warrior. You know, if there's something we need more of, it's prayer warriors, Uh, You know, most people in this church realize that we we pray, but I don't know if most people in the church realize how much we pray. Many of us have secret prayer closets every day that we get into before we leave the home and go off. We have uh, prayer meetings here on Wednesday nights where we preach the Bible, and then we have prayer requests, and we have prayer time. Um, On um, Saturday mornings, uh, the staff gets together uh, right here at uh, 8 o'clock, sometimes 9 o'clock, and we get on our knees and we pray. On uh, Sunday mornings, we the staff gets in here at 8 o'clock and we get on our knees and we pray. At 9.30, and we give this as a public invitation to all the church, anyone can come. And we meet in this room back here behind this wall here, and we, uh, we get on our knees and we pray. And then 11 o'clock Sunday morning, when I get up to preach, I'm sorry, about 11.30, when I get up to preach, uh, normally two of our ladies will get up and leave and they'll go into my office and they'll get on their knees and they'll pray all the while I'm preaching here. And I believe that we can trace back some of our greatest Sunday mornings to those ladies in there praying while the preaching's going on. And you know what I think? we ought to get more prayer warriors so that we can go on rotational basis, and on Sunday nights, we can get two people to slip into the office and be praying while the preaching is going on. I think it makes sense, anyhow you think about it. Sunday afternoons also, several of our ladies get together, and they have a special prayer meeting. I don't know if you are aware of how much prayer is going on. Wow, well, that's more than enough. No, we need more prayer warriors. If we want to see more victory, we need more prayer going up because the victory is of God. And God has designed it so that he'll put his power and victory in conjunction with our prayers so that when we pray, we'll see God's victory. Satan is the great hindrance, and he'll try and hold things back and oppose as much as he can. But as we pray, God removes that hindrance and his will is done, and we see victories and miracles. And so, again, Epaphras here was a great prayer warrior. Epaphras knew the value of spiritual standing, and so he desired all the members of his church at Colossae to stand perfect and complete in the will of God, and that is why he was praying so fervently. Now, this type of spiritual standing has to do with God's complete will, and it means that there is nothing left undone. Now, pay close attention to this, because this should amaze you. Um, God's will, nothing left undone, but that you and I have completed everything that God wants us to do. Listen, it includes the big things, it includes the medium-sized things, it includes the small little things that God wants us to do. Now, again, look at verse 12, and I want you to notice a word that Paul uses in verse 12. He says, uh, laboring um, fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand. What's the next word? Perfect. Perfect, he says. Perfect. That's a Greek word, teleos, and it means perfected. It means that it's come to maturity. It means coming through uh, almost a manufacturing process where the raw materials are brought together and things are done to them. And finally, at the end of the assembly line, you've got a beautiful product, be it an automobile or um, a musical instrument or something. It's gone through its perfecting process. It's almost like the growth of a child. And he's busy growing up. He gets into his teens years, and finally he becomes an adult, and we say that his his growth is perfected. Now, he's still got more to learn, mind you, but at least physically he comes to manhood, and his growth has been perfected. Our Bible that we hold so precious to our hearts came through a perfection kind of process, a teleos kind of process. God added to it book by blessed book until every one of those 66 God-breathed books were finally written and the whole word of God was complete. It was perfected. And that's the, the word there that, that Paul used. Now, please uh, turn back to the book of Romans, if you would. Romans and chapter 12 not too far to Romans. If you get to Genesis, you've gone a little too far, my friend. Uh, Romans chapter 12, a very familiar passage. The first two verses we all are very familiar with. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, verse 2 and be not conformed to this world but be transformed be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove now we're talking tonight about god's perfect will about the whole will of god Ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of god and the same word teleos is used there And it means that through a perfecting process. And the idea is that God's will involves this and then this and then this, this day, next week, next month and so on to the last moment when we're finished. And then he takes us home. Did anyone hear a trumpet just a moment ago? There's some noise there anywhere. That's not us, is it? Out of the speakers? That's that's not that guy in the sled on the roof, is it? Uh, Get rid of that guy. Maybe it's hail. Who knows? These are crazy days in which we live. Amen. But uh, anyhow, getting back here to Romans chapter 12, it's the very same word. It's used as an adjective. Uh, teleos, and it means complete through a process. And so from this, all this, we learn that there is another lesser known truth in the Bible concerning a standing before God. It revolves around doing every single piece of his will for our lives, leaving nothing out, nothing undone, doing everything he wants us to do. This includes all of the big things he wants us to do, all of the medium-sized things he wants us to do, all of the small little things he wants us to do and folks i think that epaphras understood this and he prayed fervently 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 for his dear folks back home in his church at colossi he prayed for them so fervently why did he pray for them because they were just as human as you and i and one of our problems one of our human problems is that we tend to use human logic on the will of god you say what does that mean it means this we prioritize we classify We hear something and we say, wow, that's an important thing. We hear something else and we say, oh, yeah, that's important too, but it's not as important. We hear something else and we say, yeah, that's small potatoes. And we classify things, and we do it all the time. We're not supposed to judge a book by its cover. You're all familiar with that expression? You're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but what's the first thing we do? We judge the book by its cover. My wife pulled a book off the shelf just uh, yesterday the day before. And uh, we were in um, some store or something and she she pulled something off the shelf and right away, I knew she pulled it because of the color. She loved the color of that book. Oh, the cover of that book had the most beautiful color. I know, that's why. And I asked her and she said, yep, that's why. Do you remember that? That's why she pulled that book off the shelf. Uh, That's funny, isn't it? But we do that, and we do that with automobiles, and we do that with houses, and we do that with the will of God. The will of God involves big things, medium things, and small things. And here you and I go around classifying, or get this, reclassifying the will of God. And Epaphras knew that his people were just as human as you and I here tonight. And he prayed for them fervently, that they would stand complete in all the will of God. And so this is very interesting when you and I, we hear something, uh, one of the big things uh, of the will of God for our lives, we hear something preached, we hear something taught, we read in a book, uh, someone stands and gives a testimony, and we think, wow, 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 that is a big, important piece of the will of God for my life. We say, that deserves priority number one, numero uno. Did I get that right, brother? Numero, did I, how did I sound, by the way? That was good, all right, yeah. Numero uno. I know something in Spanish, at least. And we say, wow, that deserves a number one priority. That's really big. Now, maybe it might be something like separating ourselves from sin. Maybe before you became a Christian, you used to drink alcohol and smoke cigars. And after you got saved the holy spirit showed you and the word of god taught you that these things are worldly and they're damaging and they're not part of what jesus would have you do and you say you say i won't have anything to do with that's a priority number one number one number uno i am not going to drink whiskey anymore i'm not going to drink i'm not going to smoke cigars anymore i don't even want it in my home someone wants to come in my home do you drink whiskey or smoke cigars no, I don't. Then you make him in my home. And we hear some some things sometimes and we say that is a big piece of the will of God for my life and we label it priority number 1. Okay? And then we hear something else concerning the will of God for our lives. And we think, well, that's good. It's not a number 1, but you know, it's not small. It's kind of In between and so I'll give that a priority number two and that might be something like learning to attend all the church services Sunday morning Sunday evening Wednesday and say well I know it's good for me and maybe one day I'll get there but I mean it's not a priority I mean come on now it's not like drinking whiskey and smoking cigars right man that's a number one priority to avoid but being in church Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock and 6 o'clock and then to come back Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Well, that, that's good, and I realize it's good, but I mean, it's kind of a medium. It's not a big one, so we're gonna label that priority number two. And then we'll hear something uh, and we'll think, uh, you know, that's, that's not a number one priority or a two. You know, that's, you know, a, a small little thing a small thing, and, uh, you know, you fill in the blank. It, it really doesn't matter what you put in there, but we would say, you know, this is small. I mean, sure, okay, it's good, but if you never get around to it, not, don't worry about it. It, it. It's not a big problem. It's not a problem. If you never get around to this, don't worry about it. It won't matter, and that's priority number three. Do you follow that line of thinking? Isn't that common? Don't we always seem to end up prioritizing and classifying things? And we do it almost without thinking. And Epaphras knew that his dear people back in Colossae made the same mistake. And I think that's why he prayed so fervently for them, that they would stand complete, listen to this, in all the will of God. Not some, but all the will of God for their lives. Now think about this. When it comes to classifying and prioritizing, what if we make a mistake? What if we make a real mistake? And instead of classifying something uh, as major, we end up classifying it as medium or even small. What if we do that? You know, I'll give you an example. Uh, our paychecks, our weekly, bi- bi-monthly, bi-weekly, you know, monthly, whatever, however you get paid, your cash flow. Your paycheck, Now, that's the holy grail, right? Man, that's important. Boy, that's a number one priority. To thy paycheck be true. You know, let everything else fall by the wayside, but, man, we got to protect that paycheck. That is the be-all and the end-all, the paycheck. And so we put a priority number one on it. When God looks at the paycheck, how would God classify the paycheck? Now, if you're brave enough, go to the Gospel of Luke with me right now. Luke chapter 16. Let's take a look at this. Maybe an example of how God might classify a paycheck. Luke chapter 16, and we're not gonna talk about the rich man in hell, don't worry. By the way, did you know that the rich man in hell is not rich anymore? He left it all behind, didn't he? Those riches seem to keep him away from faith in God. Now, Luke chapter 16, and please follow along. I'll read starting in verse 10. Here's the words of the Lord Jesus Our Savior, God in the flesh, said these words He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Now pause there a moment. Who's doing the classifying? Jesus is, right. So you see right away that God classifies things too, okay? Verse 11. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Pause for a minute. Mammon? Boy, what is that? Is that a prehistoric beast? No, that word means things of the world. And the number one thing of the world is probably money. Lotto fever has gripped North America with the Powerball and the Lotto, jackpot, and all that kind of thing. And people, Christian people, take the the precious resources that God has entrusted them with and run to the lotto ticket, and they'll line up sometimes for an hour to be able to buy tickets. We watched a news clip. And uh, in the States, anyhow, and probably the same in Canada, there are people laying down, listen to this, $200, $500 at a chance to win it big. And these are people who can't afford to lay down $200, like it's, they're on welfare, like they're sacrificing food in order to take a chance on getting filthy, stinking rich. Sad, really, isn't it? mammon Jesus God in the flesh said it ye cannot serve God and mammon if he says we can't do it then we can't do it verse 14 the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him and he said unto them ye are they which justify yourselves before men but God knoweth your hearts for that which is, watch this, that which is highly esteemed among men is, what's that next word? Abomination in the sight of God. Now we're talking an example tonight. We classify things a certain way and we say that old paycheck, oh man, that's, that's the be all and end all. That's where it's at. You follow the paycheck, follow the money. And if Company A will offer you a dollar more, you quit company B and go for Company A, it's all about the paycheck. Is it? And we classify that as a number one priority. Now I'm just speaking in general. How does God classify the paycheck? Well, look at it again, please. Verse the end of verse 15. God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Now, you know that Jesus worked for probably 20 years or more as a carpenter, right? You knew that. Do carpenters get a paycheck? Yes or no? Do they do it all for free? No, they can't live. They have to have a paycheck. So did Jesus get a paycheck? yes he got a paycheck so how would jesus categorize his paycheck every week every month i don't know how often he was paid probably by the job and he would do this work and he would get paid that's what carpenters do and so here's his paycheck can you see jesus saying hey the paycheck numero uno top priority number one Eh, eh, eh. follow the money folks Can you see Jesus acting the way some of us act? Over the paycheck. God classifies things too, you know, and he classifies things as big, and he classifies things as medium, and he classifies things as small. And they're all part of the will of God. You and I, we hear about the will of God, and we start reclassifying them. And I'm wondering if it's possible that we've made a mistake in how we classify things like missions. I wonder if that's possible. If we classify missions as, well, good, and maybe one day I'll get to it. But I wonder if we classify the paycheck as number one and missions maybe as number two or maybe number three. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? how we classify things. And I think this is why Epaphras fell to his knees and prayed so fervently for his dear people back in Colossae, that they would stand complete in all the perfect will of God. Did you know that God has a perfect will for your life? And it involves big things, and it involves medium things, and it involves small little things. Now, what if someone here was to classify missions as a very big thing, and someone here was to classify missions as a very small thing. Who is right? Now, the answer to that question is going to shock you. The answer is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Why is that? Why doesn't it matter? I thought, Pastor, you were going to say, hey, that's a big thing. Don't you dare classify it as a small thing. That's a biggie. Why are you saying it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter for a couple of reasons. Number one, it doesn't matter if, if you classify involvement in missions as a small thing. It doesn't matter as long as you classify it as part of the will of God for your life. Does that make sense? as long as it's on the table. Leave it on the table, folks, even if your involvement is small, even if you look at missions and say, well, maybe one day I'll do something great for God in missions, but for now I'm just going to do something small. It's okay. The second reason why I say it doesn't matter is because you and I were notorious at reclassifying things. And as time goes on, we get more understanding. And things that we once thought were so important, we realize they're not that important. And some things that we thought were not that important, we realize they are really important. You know, there are some people, maybe some here tonight, that don't realize the importance of family. And they think, oh, I grew up with family. Family be around. You can slap them, kick them, abuse them. You know, eh, that's family. That's what you do. They'll always be there, not to worry. Well, what if they're not always there? What if after all that abuse and neglect, they're gone? And then one day, you know, you're left alone. You say, does that happen? Boy, does that happen. And the Bible warns us, he that troubleth his own house shall inherit the what? Wind. How would you like to inherit the wind? Oh, no. You want to be left alone. You want, uh, sorry, you want to be left in a place where everyone forsakes you. No, my family, my family. And your heart will grieve you. Maybe to the day you die. Oh, if only I could go back. Oh, if only I knew. What I know now, the importance of family, I would have overlooked some of those indiscretions. I would have held my nose a little more and put my arms around them a little more and hugged them and loved them and wept with them and gotten involved in their world and prayed with them. The importance of family. And at one time we classified it as something very small, but maybe later in life we're saying, wow, that was a mistake. I need to reclassify that Oh, young families young moms and dads put a priority on your family and how about schooling you go through school I can hardly wait to blow this popsicle stand man I want to get out of this place here and I want to take on the world schooling who needs it English math I'll never use that I want to get out of here oh man you'll get out And one day you're going to stop and you're going to look at all your friends that struggled with English and math and all those subjects and they're passing you by, zoom, zoom, in life. And you're thinking, what a donkey I was. Man, I want to reclassify this. Oh, young people still in school, take advantage of your school days. Roll up your sleeves. The video games can wait. Excel at your studies and you find yourself reclassifying. So I'm telling you this tonight. What if you're here tonight, and as far as you're concerned, missions, well, it's okay, but it's just a small thing. And I'm saying to you, that's okay. It doesn't matter. As long as it's part of the will of God for your life. Include it. Remember the big things, the medium things, and the small things now what do you think about missions now I could only afford to give a dollar a week you say to missions well that's fifty two dollars a year you'll give oh but that's so small I agree that's nothing you spend more on coffee some people will spend that fifty two dollars in one week on their starbucks doubly doo de dah you know things man, you go in and come out $10 later with a, a cup of coffee is basically all it is. Yeah, but man, it's got all the cream and it's got the sprinkles and it's got that little design on the top and cinnamon. And the names, that, oh, it's the Grand Blonde Latte Deluxe or something. <laughs> they saw you coming. You want to save money? Make your coffee at home and bring it in a the thermos you'll save a money, a lot of money, and then give that money you save, give it to missions. How about that? Some people doing that could give literally hundreds of dollars a year to missions. But if you classify missions as just something small, I'm here to tell you you're still okay as long as it's part of God's will for your life. That means this. If you want to stand complete in the will of God, You need to do all the will of God, all those big things, all those medium things, and missions, and missions. I hope that missions is on your radar. I hope that missions is on your table tonight. I hope that you see missions as part of God's will for your life. And parents, if it's part of God's will for your life, why isn't it part of God's will for your children's life as well? If Bible reading is part of God's will for your life, mom and dad, why isn't it part of the will of God for your children's life, too? So you need to get them on the bandwagon with missions. Oh, but they could only give 10 cents a week, 25 cents a month. That's all right. Do it. Do it. Let them do it and be faithful and to know why they're doing it. Teach them about the will of God. The complete, perfect will of God. Oh man, if you ask me, that's exciting. Quick, we've got to close off. Finally, point number three let's look at the joy aspect of this secret standing. Remember the sermon title is the joy of standing complete in the will of God. Now I'd like you to turn to the right. And uh, we're going to finish with this. Go to the book uh, of 1 John. It's close to the end of the Bible. Almost to Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude and Revelation. Go to 1 John chapter 1. Hurry, please. 1 John chapter 1. Now, 1 John chapter 1, <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to read verse 4. It's a very short little verse. You can do it. I know you can. Read it out loud with me now. John cha- 1 John 1, 4. Here we go. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Now, John is beginning to write. He, this, he didn't write this at the end of his, his book, his epistle. He wrote it at the beginning. And it's like saying, these things I'm about to write to you, this word of God, this will of God, this mind of God in print, I'm putting it down in writing for you. These things that I write unto you, he says, that your joy may be full. And so God gave us his written will, in, his will in written form, we can discover God's will and notice that our joy will be, what's that next word? Full. Say it together with me. Full. That means not just a little. That means full. That means if you have more capacity, you'll get that filled up. If you have smaller capacity, whatever your capacity is to be, quote, full, you will be filled That's the promise of God. If you get involved in all the will of God, you will be full of joy. In fact, uh, I can tell you this, that you are about to experience a boatload of joy if you will do all of the will of God. And you will experience joy in at least four ways. Number one, you will get the joy of knowing that you really are pleasing God, by getting on the bandwagon and being part of supporting Faith Promise missions, even if it's just for a little bit, you will have the joy of knowing that you're pleasing God. Number two, you will take great joy when you hear about the good reports that these missionaries send back from the field of souls they've led to Christ and churches that they've started, and you'll say, yes. Number three, you'll take joy in knowing that God can use someone even like you for his worldwide business. Remember, it's the march of the unqualified, but it's God's power. And number four, one day you will be called into the very presence of your blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to take, I'll say, a paper here, and on the paper is going to be God's perfect will for your life when you were on earth. And on that paper, we'll have all of the big things of God's will that he wanted you to do, all of the medium things of God's will he wanted you to do, and he'll have all the little things that he wanted you to do, regardless of how you classified them. He has his own way of classifying, and they'll all be there. And he will take a paper. I'm just saying using a paper. I'm just saying a paper. He'll take a paper that has the will of God for your life, And then he will look at your life and compare and he will compare to see if you've done all the will of God if it's all there or are there things missing are there holes are there things left off and he will see if it's all there and when he sees that it's all there then he will have the joy of saying to you the words Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right? Thou hast been faithful in a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Well, it's invitation time. It's time for you and I to come before God in prayer. And I want to encourage you to come on this invitation and spend a minute... On your knees with God and give him glory and praise and thanksgiving for his goodness to you and for this opportunity to get on the bandwagon of worldwide evangelism and I want to encourage you to pray one for another pray for our church that we reach our full potential if you're here tonight and you're not a hundred percent sure what God wants you to give in the way of missions now is the time to ask him Lord What do you want me to do? Let's stand to our feet, shall we?